0: Hey there, nature lovers. CJ here from the studio before we get into the episode this week. Our episode was actually recorded about a week or two ago, so our current events aren't always the most current. And this week's current event, we focus on Monty, the piping plover, who had recently returned to Montrose Point. Now, I am here at the beginning of the episode to make a, uh, a pretty sad amendment before we get into the episode this week. As of right now, which is, you know, the evening of, uh, Friday, May 13th, Monty, the piping plover of Montrose beach has actually died unexpectedly. The Chicago piping plovers group tweeted and told news outlets that Monty had died and no cause of death was given. As we're going to mention this episode, he recently returned back to his summer home of Montrose point. So, uh. It's uh, it's it's pretty sad that we were, we we're losing such an iconic bird who made such an impact, but you're really going to hear our joy in this episode celebrating this really wonderful individual who is an amazing representation for his species and setting the groundwork for amazing conservation happening here in the Chicagoland area. But without all that sad news out of the way, nature lovers, I think you're going to really like this episode. Let's get into it.
1: Welcome back, nature lovers, to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We love having you listen. We've got some really exciting stuff going on, Uh, one of them being our discount code for our merch store. We've got some really cool merch going on, so if you'd like to get a 15% discount, our discount code is SEASON2, it's S-E-A-S-O-N, and the number 2. Um, And that's for 15% off of merch. Uh, So go get that Birdie Bunch merch on. And as we get into it, this is going to be our final episode of Season 2, which is super exciting. Um, We will be back on June 6th with a very special Birdie Bunch. It is our Birdie Bunch hashtag pride. Um, And I think with that, we can get into it. Welcome back, nature lovers, to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, and fascination. My name's Brittany, and I'm joined by my two friends and co-hosts.
2: I'm CJ. And I'm Matt.
1: How are we doing this week, folks?
0: I'm, I'm doing pretty good. The week that this comes out, I will have just returned from the biggest week in American birding. So, very exciting, got to see some really amazing birds, and even amazing more so people. So, I will be sharing all about that on my Instagram, which will be plugged later in the episode.
2: And as you can probably tell as of recording this, I am sick. So, I'm living my best life. I do sound like I'm a disc jockey for KNBR, but you know what? That's okay.
0: Welcome to KNBR Radio, I'm Matt (laughs) Villagher.
2: Live from the smooth stylings of New York City. This is KNVR. Very, Very yeah, yeah, no. It's like part of me is like, maybe I should just like stay sick, and then like then I can really (laughs) have the voice for radio. But you know, we'll get the we'll get get the
0: Ray Brown voice going on right now.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Do either of you watch Friends?
0: Of course, I watch Friends.
2: I have.
1: There's an episode where Phoebe purposely gets sick because it gives her a raspy, sexy voice.
2: Oh, yeah. I do remember that. That's incredible. Um,
1: So Matt channeling inner Phoebe.
2: Love that. You know what? That's the only time you'll hear me accept that.
0: (laughs) Fair. Brittany, how are you doing this week?
1: I'm doing pretty good. Just working and home and working and home. So nothing too crazy exciting going on. All I do is I go to work and I come home. So any
0: any exciting birds coming to the feeders?
1: Um, I I have currently taken our feeders down
0: uh, uh, because
1: of the avian flu that is going around.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: so I have a bird that I love dearly that I work with, and I am going to continue to take all the precautions I can. Um, very wise. Yeah. So very no wise. no cool birds in here. We did have a barbecue the other night, though, and our barred owl was who and who away. So
0: very um, exciting that he exciting. still comes yeah. and hangs out. That's very exciting. I love it. Yeah. We're going to talk more about avian flu um, later with current events, I believe. Right, Matthew?
2: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. It's not the main current event, but I'm going to touch upon it.
0: Sweet. Well, not sweet, I guess. But regardless, let's jump into our next segment, which is the Creature Feature. So our Creature Feature for this week is coming to us from the land down under, one of my favorite places and favorite places of a friend of the podcast, Australian CJ. But Australian CJ is not joining us this week Just me, regular CJ, here to hold down the creature feature. So, the animal we're going to be talking about is a super duper cool one. I don't know how to describe it other than probably my favorite bird ever. That's probably the only way I could describe it. Before, like, you know, we jump into more description about this creature, do you guys have any non-spoilery hints as to what this creature feature might be?
2: It's always fun, you know, hanging out with the crew, you know, we get the Birdie Bunch gang together and it's like, I love talking about this species with the Birdie Bunch gang, you know, it's really, really fun to discuss, especially like this group of organisms, you know, we're yeah. talking like the citizens today, talking about those with the Birdie Bunch gang, you know, it's like really, 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 really super hype. You know, like, if I were a rooster, I'd be like, cock-a-doodle-doo, bro. Like, it's super, like, fun to hang out with the gang. It's insane. the gang? The gang.
0: With the gang.
2: With the gang of misfits.
0: I I thought you were going to say it there.
2: Nah, the Birdie Bunch (laughs) gang, you know what I mean?
0: I do know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Brittany, any non-spoilery hints or teasers about our creature feature for today? No, she
2: absolutely doesn't.
1: I'm a millennial and y'all had to explain it to me last time. So that's right. So that's (laughs) right.
0: Gang gang. baby. we're talking about the gang gang cockatoo this week. We're talking about the gang gang cockatoo this week. So I'm sure behind my voice right now, I've edited in some, one of the many tracks that features the lyrics gang gang, because I just, I love it so much. It's so dumb and amazing. But the gang gang cockatoo, which is a species of cockatoo native to Australia, is a really, really beautiful bird. They're a cockatoo similar to the size of like a gala, which is like a bright pink cockatoo, but instead they're mostly black. Uh, not just black though, there's some like white speckles in there. And the males have this really, really beautiful red head. And both males and females, they kind of have this weird crest. You think of like a cockatoo, like a sulphur cockatoo. They have this big yellow crest on their head. Gang gang cockatoos are a little bit different. Instead of like a big frilled yellow crest, what they have is a little tiny swirl of a feather that swirls on the top of their head. And they are, I don't know, I just think they're really cute. They're like pretty small compared to some of those bigger cockatoos, but they're definitely bigger than some other, you know, citizen parrots. Um... They're they're just really really cool. Um, Some interesting facts about the gang gang cockatoo is that they can feed in flocks of up to sixty birds outside of the breeding season, and they feed mostly in pairs or small family groups during that breeding season. They form these really close monogamous pairs, and females choose a nest in like a hollow like a tree, and both the male and female help prepare the nest, and care for the nest, and care for the young, once those eggs hatch. So, so exciting! Yang-yang cockatoos are really, really incredible animals. They're kind of native to Southeast Australia, so mostly Victoria and New South Wales. In Victoria, which is one of the states in Australia where big city Melbourne is, um, they're secure, so they have a pretty, like, least-concerned population. But up in uh, New South Wales, which is where Sydney is, they are marked as vulnerable. And a lot of people think that it could go back to the Australian bushfires, those bushfires that kind of wreaked havoc all over Australia in late 2019, early 2020, and led to loss of numbers of a lot of different species, including the gang gang cockatoo. Um, Habitat loss is not the only factor of their conservation status though. Um, Another big one, and it's a big one for a lot of parrots, is the pet trade. So a lot of these parrots are collected and sold illegally and somehow also legally which is terrifying in the pet trade and it can lead to a huge drop in numbers and i'm sure we'll get more to that later when uh guest um um gabe joins us gabe casen so very exciting any thoughts on our gang 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 and if you don't have thoughts are you a member of the gang gang gang
2: if I'm not mistaken, I might be one of the the pioneering members of the Ganga Gang.
0: I do believe you are one of the pioneering members of the Ganga so, gang, gang. So am I, and so is our guest today. Actually,
2: yeah. So I'd be remiss if I weren't to say I was a part of the Ganga Gang. Because I mean, like when you pioneer the Ganga Gang, you don't Gang Gang, gang for once. Gang. Gang, 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 gang for, for life. Absolutely for life. This is this is merch. Gang Gang, gang for life. Yeah, like so we actually four. do have
0: gang gang merch. If you didn't know that, Brittany, we actually have gang gang merch.
2: We do, but now we're also going to have gang 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 merch. I'm going to just put that out there.
0: Okay, I'm excited to see it's it. It's
2: happening. It's going to happen. I'm excited to see it. I'm not promising it will happen now, but it will happen. Okay. It's like that right. candy, now and later. Sometimes I feel now, very uncool in this later. conversation. You got no, gang Brittany, gang you're now, so cool. and you'll you're have so gang cool, gang baby. gang later.
0: Brittany, are you a member of the gang gang gang? What do you think of the gang gang cockatoo? What do you think of the gang gang cockatoo, Brittany?
1: You know, I am actually right now as we speak going to look up this bird so I can. uh,
0: You should. They're very pretty. So that I can
1: just have
2: feature, Brittany. This is your creature feature. Remember that. I did not pick. It. pick. Did I absolutely. I absolutely be a, a it? member of the gang, gang, gang. If you,
0: I absolutely, pay, absolutely pick <laughs> this creature
2: I love this bird. I know okay, loves this bird. they kind of like.
1: Okay, they are pretty cool. They look like a spooky little Halloween bird. Yeah, they you, they're
2: spooky. Dooky. You sounded real trepid when you said that. You're like, they look kind of okay. They're actually kind of cool. Like, all right, they're spooky
0: dooky. They got like these little red masks.
2: You like, I can respect it, and I'm like the fact that you weren't like immediately on the gang 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 is like they're definitely
0: not the coolest cockatoo to be found across australia there's some really really cool ones they're very this one's actually
2: my favorite they're very for sure my favorite what wait what is the coolest cockatoo then
0: uh palm cockatoos are pretty sweet
2: but this is largely got the same palette, you know? So, like, if you're going to have the
0: palm I mean, cockroaches- yeah. Like, it's literally the black and red. That's so sick. The palm cockatoo's yeah. have it. The red-tailed black, uh, the glossy blacks.
2: So, like, I mean, uh, you can make too many claim- Australian. I just words.
1: looked at both of them and comparing the palm cockatoo and the gang gang. Gang gang looks way cooler.
0: Agreed. Gang gang is really, really
2: sick. Wait, why is it my nine, favorite
0: though? Yeah. I'm going to look up the origins of why they're called gang gang. I think it's just because of the call that they make.
2: Yeah, okay. That's pretty sick actually. Pumped the name
0: gang gang comes from a New South Wales Aboriginal language. And it's possible they called it resembling its call.
3: That would make sense.
1: So yeah. wait, why are some of why are some of the gang gang birds I'm assuming it's just because birds and plumage and like the way that males and females have sexual dimorphism
0: yeah they're just very they're sexually dimorphic females don't have the red the red yeah that's just males
1: okay
0: anyway now that we're all a part of the gang 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 and we love the gang gang cockatoo let's move on to our next segment current events
2: on this week's episode of current events we're coming to you live from chicago illinois where exciting things are a brewing no they aren't beer this time we're talking the return of some of our favorite feathered friends in particular monty the piping plover. and monty was recently sighted on chicago's beach the way he do be every single year which signals a return again Piping Plovers will return to their breeding grounds every year if they find a good one, which is why it's so important to preserve that habitat, actually, for Piping Plovers, which is why, you know, a couple years back, where we've talked about it before on the podcast, but if you weren't a friend back then, basically, a year after they had established themselves, there was a music festival slated to be on the same beach that Monty and Rose were nesting on. And there was this whole controversy in the community and the city were like, ah, no, no, we're keeping the birds. And so the music festival got moved and there was a big controversy about that because people don't like things coming in the way of development or, you know, whatever the heck um, you describe it as. But it was so important there because if he scared Monty and Rose away once, they might not come back. And with such a huge success story for piping plovers being that for the first time in 50 years, just a year before they'd been found and successfully bred on the shores of Lake Michigan in Chicago. Well, that would just be a travesty. That would be a tragedy if that were allowed to happen. So it's really great that Monty's returning. That means that it's still considered good habitat. But there's also context to this story because Well, first of all, as of recording this, Rose isn't back yet. She's slated to probably return this week. So have no fear. Rose is probably going to be here. But, you know, she's not yet. But there's also context due to the fact that another piping plover showed up on the beach in Chicago. Which was really cool and really special because, you know, you can see that maybe we're becoming more and more restorative of an ecosystem as Monty and Rose have percolated into chicagoland society right like we want to keep them around and so what we do is we make the habitat better it's more conducive to their survival and other piping plovers are like hey bruh, i want into some of that now obviously they don't actually you know anthropomorphization haha. but by making ha- habitat suitable for them you make it suitable for all sorts of things that need habitats like that to survive I think you could probably consider Monty and Rose and piping plovers in general to be what's known as an umbrella species, which when we're talking about conservation concern and ecology, that's just a species that when you protect and you protect habitat for them, you protect for a lot of things. For example, big, big, beautiful example of this is elephants, right? Elephants need huge swatches of land. They need tons of different requirements in order to survive. They need water and grasses and all sorts of diversity of ecosystems. So if you protect elephants, you protect a ton of stuff. Because if you protect the water to protect the elephants, you protect everything in the water. You protect the grasslands, you protect everything in the grasslands too. So Monty and Rose, by protecting that shoreline, you're also protecting the shoreline for other things that need that shoreline to survive. One of which being a non-Monty and Rose piping plover. And what's super interesting about the arrival of this piping plover is that it actually is an unbanded one. So that means that it wasn't one of Monty and Rose's children. They're already banded. So if they'd showed up with their bands on, they could say, oh, this is Nish or whoever. You know, Nish is the one who was found in Lake Erie last year. But it was a new one, which first of all means that it's probably not a Great Lakes plover because I think the stat I saw was like 90% of them are banded there's a very low chance that there's an unbanded great lakes region plover which means they're looking at probably the great plains which is a bit west of us what is really cool to see because we're finding suitable habitat in our very own backyards for this bird that is endangered like think about that that's so it's beautiful like the shores of a major city is preserving a federally endangered species you can't write a better story than that that is the story that's the story of chicago right now it's amazing and not to depart or make anything uncomfortable because i'm just gonna do it for a second but there's also another story being written in the headlines and that's about avian flu if you've got bird feeders i'd recommend taking them down um avian flu is hitting really 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 hard right now a couple weeks back there was actually in the Chicagoland area, a lake that lost 200 double-crested cormorants. Now, shorebirds and all, you know, birds like piping clovers, frankly, are really susceptible to avian flu, but frankly, so are all birds. All birds are susceptible to it. It ravages livestock in particular, which is why people are concerned about, especially rural areas where the interface zone between chickens and like non-chicken entities like ducks or you know, even just people who come in contact with chickens and then go feed their feeders is a particular concern. Um, But, you know, that's something to keep an eye on. But to nestle that in front of this in within the success of Monty and Rose, we've already done so much to protect Monty and Rose and piping plovers in general, especially in Chicago. And so there's no doubt in my mind that we'll continue to rally around them, whether it's overcoming avian flu, Or protecting another swatch of land for maybe another breeding piping plover player. Like, it's so, the the options are limitless. And all we can do is take one more step forward. Because if everyone takes one step, think about how many steps that is. We've already seen so many be taken. It's really, truly just limitless. And that is today's current event. Two technically. It's current events. I brought in two.
0: Current events plural there. Gang gang. I just wanted to comment on this really quick because as a uh, the 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 Chicago birder on the podcast, Matt, you're out in Ohio, Brittany are out in St. Louis. So I'm gonna rep Chicago here. The the Chicago burning community has obviously grown so much in the past couple years, and I think definitely in part to Monty and Rose, you know, Montrose Point has become a cornerstone of really like a more than a cornerstone, like a gemstone of Chicago ecology and and birding. And it's really, really exciting to see that, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently around other locations in Chicago that piping plovers could nest and a big push this past year from last summer through now has been doing cleanups on other shores um, along the Lake Michigan coastline here in Chicago. One in particular that was projected to be a spot for piping plovers uh, and potentially still could be at the time of recording, I'm not sure, um, is Rainbow Beach, which is um, pretty far south. Uh, it's south of like Jackson Park area. It's not very south, I guess, but it's it's further way further south than, than Montrose Point is. And we actually did have a stopover. Uh, there was a plover that came, landed, hung out for a day, and then flew up to its next nesting site. Um, like Matt mentioned, it was banded. Um, And it went up to its official site in Michigan where it goes every year. But it stopped here in Chicago on Rainbow Beach. So we know that that site is safe for plovers. So there's some really awesome conservation happening on the lines of, you know, birding, plovers, Chicago. Good stuff.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing both of those current events. I think that one talking about The avian flu going on is really important because we do have a platform where we can just warn people, right? Take out your bird feeders and do what you can. But also, just the excitement of Monty and Rose coming on back and the piping flovers. It is my goal to come and see them one day. Let me know when you're here, babe. We'll
0: go. Let me know when you're here.
1: Yeah. It's just getting there is my problem right now. A bit of a hike right now. (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) <laughs> um, but it is a goal. So, um, because they are just so well known and famous, and I I like to bird a little bit. Um, but yeah,
0: especially but, the cool ones. Especially the cool right, ones.
1: Right. Because I'm not um, gonna lie,
0: I, I I bird, I bird. But bird some birds hard. are freaking lame.
1: Cool yeah, birds.
0: That's yeah. who you want to go see.
1: Yeah. I. I. Yeah.
0: I won't name any of the lame birds, but the cool birds I'll always like a name.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Again, thank you for that current event. And and with that, I think we can head on over to our main event uh, where we are so excited to be joined by Gabe Kaysen. And uh, we're going to head on over that way.
2: Unfortunately, I'm a little bit too busy and a little bit too sick to be here for this interview, but I will see y'all at the end of the episode. Sorry for missing you, Gabe.
1: All right. Today, we are welcomed. Our welcome guest is Gabe Kasson. Uh, Gabe, if you want to do a little introducing of yourself,
3: sure. My name is gabe this is my second time on the podcast now my pronouns are he him i'm the executive director of the citizen welfare institute and all around bird nerd and fan so i'm really excited to be here talk a little bit about our organization about world parrot day and all things parrots i'm very excited to be here
0: well we're excited to have another bird person on the pod absolutely especially with matt not being able to join us for this call we're happy that you can pick up the bird content
3: Absolutely. I will I will be in Matt's place today. Yay. Represent the bird people well.
0: Our creature feature for today was actually the gang gang cockatoo. So Excellent you'll choice. be pleased that the gang 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 has been represented.
3: Excellent. You know how important that is to me. <laughs> the gang gang
1: gang. Awesome. Well, with that, can you add, do you want to talk to us a little bit about the Citizen Institute welfare? Like what is it? How did it come about that
3: type of stuff sure so oh goodness gracious where to start with this story so like so many other organizations that have come before we strive to achieve some kind of mission so citizen welfare institute is a non-for-profit and we actually kind of started off we started off with a different name and with a different purpose and have, have since evolved so we started because there was a group of keepers including myself who thought that we could be doing better for parrot husbandry and since then we have kind of evolved to more focus on welfare than husbandry simply because husbandry is a part of welfare welfare we can look at a lot of things we can look at wild welfare we can look at welfare in captivity we can look at all sorts of things so But to answer your question, originally we were focused on husbandry and one of the things as an animal care professional that I was noticing was that for some species you can go and find very easily accessible scientific sources for their care a great example of this is reptile husbandry there are a lot of hobbyists that go out of their way to do things like take temperature readings and solar meter readings of just random basking bearded dragons in australia like in the middle of the outback these like hobbyists are going out there and taking these readings and it's incredible and to be a part of such groups and to see such scientific forethought it's very jarring going into the the bird world which is primarily dominated by 1970s aviculture standards and and people that that got them in that era for pets and for you know essentially showing off their wealth showing off like like the history of most companion animals is 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 about showing your standing and they were cool and exotic and and interesting in the 70s and and we have learned a lot anecdotally since then by word of mouth about how to care for these animals but there's still very very little science done on them and one of the things we wanted to change was to make these scientific resources more accessible to people and there still aren't many of them we've we've scoured and we've condensed and consolidated this information into one easily accessible place for both parrot caretakers at home and also in institutes, but we still have a lot of work to do in the future. So very likely our organization will also be turning and focusing on the research element to try to answer some of these questions that we simply don't have at this point about how to take care of these animals. And it's kind of funny because I think there's an assumption that if we have an animal and it's a companion animal or in an institute, we must clearly know how to take care of it because we're doing it. But sometimes these things work backwards and we get the animal first and then don't take very good care of it. We have to figure out from there where to go. So it's definitely we're definitely a smaller, newer organization, but that's also really exciting because we have a lot of say in which direction we can go and tying it back to what I said at the beginning, we're very mission oriented. So the, at first we were just about information, but since then we have evolved into thinking about parrot welfare as a general concept and what are projects we can do to just improve Parent welfare, period. That is the mission. That's the bottom line. And there's a lot of ways to do that. And we're trying out a whole bunch and we're seeing what what works well and what we're getting feedback on that works.
0: Yeah, I've been, we've talked before, you've been in the podcast before, Gabe, as you mentioned, to talk a little bit about welfare and kind of those differences between specifically like husbandry welfare and like how that impacts all types of animals. Obviously, with the Citizen Welfare Institute, we're talking specifically about citizens or parrots. Can you talk to us more about
3: like the goals and mission of specifically that nonprofit? Sure. So, the mission that we have currently is kind of what I mentioned before, which is specifically to provide the resources to make welfare more accessible. I, through my career in working with people in their homes and facilities, firmly believe that most people don't provide poor welfare because they hate animals. They're doing so because they don't have the resources, whether that's knowledge, money, or other, et cetera, et cetera, to take care of these animals. So truthfully, a big part of our mission is providing those resources. I would say our vision for the future is to be more welfare centric in all the decisions we make and to propagate that messaging into the culture of caring for these animals and to think about it differently and i know both of you personally and i know that you have minds similar to mine as far as just because we've done things a certain way doesn't mean we should continue to do them blindly without any reason i think it's super important that we question why we do things and that is kind of what we want to do is foster that culture and particularly a, a unique challenge for our institute and something that makes us a little different than others is is the wild companion line because I have known enough parrot people in my time to have seen that there is a pattern of people that care for parrots in captivity in their home for many, many years, and then learn more and more, and eventually round this corner to where they don't really think parrots should be in captivity anymore. They think they should only be in the wild, and it's something I've seen a lot. So it is interesting from that perspective as far as trying to understand whether we want them in captivity and if we do, how to take care of them well and how to be, you know, how to advocate for good captivity, which we do, and also say, but poor captivity isn't good. It's it's a very fine line to walk. It's so difficult. So I would say from where we are now, we can give parrots better welfare in captivity than they have in the wild. It's possible. It's something that we should strive towards and it is achievable it takes a lot of money a lot of resources a lot of time but it's achievable most parrots and this is i don't like throwing statistics out without them meaning anything so i won't but i will say a lot a high percentage of of parrots are not even close to receiving that kind of care and captivity which is a problem because we also have to be realistic that we can't be too optimistic and say, "Hey, well, just it's it's achievable." So you know they should they should be here. Realistically, there's going to be a large subset of people that are always not providing the best care, and we have to consider that when it comes to advocating for for parrot care at all. We are for, first and foremost providing good care instructions, but the question then remains: are, are are we publishing videos that make people want to get parrots, or do we actually need? is the best thing for their welfare to say people should not have parrots. That's a serious question. And it's questions like these that that we're talking about here and trying to figure out for our vision and our future. And it seems kind of like we have to skirt both lines right now, providing the best care for our parrots, advocating good care, helping people that have these birds that have nowhere to go because there are a lot that don't even have homes. We have a huge overpopulation problem in our shelters with parrots, and that's not going to go any go away anytime soon. But as far as new parrot owners, I think that that is the best thing for, for their welfare in captivity, in the wilds, is to, to say, you probably shouldn't have a parrot at home. And so you can imagine the difficulty in, in messaging those things that seem inherently conflicting. It's, it's tough, which is why there was so much hesitation about even in talking about our mission. You know, first and foremost, it's, it's parrot welfare the betterment of it that's like the end line but how that is achieved is there's a lot of gray and a lot of questions about how we do that
0: yeah i mean like you kind of mentioned about a lot of really complicated topics within that right and one thing that i really like that you touched on was like lack of knowledge the lack of resources the lack of ability to provide that care and it's not by people's like lack of trying cuz like you said at the end of the day people do want to care for their animal but it's just a lack of all these other things so having a goal who's you know being able to spread knowledge potentially resources right it's it's huge so that's really awesome i'm i don't know i've, I've been you know i've been following you guys and supporting you guys from the start so i love all the stuff you guys are doing with parallel
3: we appreciate it <laughs> we see you too don't worry <laughs> from someone
1: who's personally used your page quite a bit for for just parent welfare and information, I find it a very useful and very helpful place because it's just all in one spot and you're not
3: mm-hmm.
1: pouring over potentially inaccurate information and whatever. But I think it's – it just your overall, like, goal has been great. And I think that – I love having these conversations because you bring up such great, like, points. Like, is it, like – I don't want to say you didn't use the word ethical but at at the end of the day is it ethical to have parents in in your home if you're not able to properly give this care and 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 is it right is it whatever and i think it's really important to bring up those topics because it's a lot of times what people don't really think about but it just, it's very, all of it is very fascinating and uh, a good points.
0: I definitely feel like ethical is the right word to use there. And again, I love that every conversation we have, Gabe, before we started recording, you're like, I don't know where this conversation is going to go. I'm just excited <laughs> to talk.
3: But ethics, ethics of
0: animal care is definitely not where I expected this conversation to
3: go. But if it goes there, I'm excited. Well, you know, if I'm on the podcast, it's going somewhere deep. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Getting into the nitty gritty for sure. I love it. I love it
1: do you, cj do you have any other questions because oh, my next question kind of swerves us from this conversation and i i don't want to hop off of this part of the <laughs> conversation if it's going to. no that's totally hard. fair <laughs>
0: um i mean the, the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about like ethics of especially animals like citizens right like their intelligence is beyond crazy right mm-hmm. you know one thing that We've dis- we've discussed last time you're on the podcast, even off-air Gabe, was like ethics of like or, or the concept of like wild welfare, like wildlife welfare. Mm-hmm. How do you think like the the wildlife welfare of like parrots ties into how we best care for them in captivity? Because you mentioned like animals in captivity could definitely be cared for better than animals in the wild.
3: Right. So could you speak to that? Sure. So it's it's a pretty simple formula as far as the problems with. With the wild and the benefits, the benefits are. I, I should I should speak. I'll speak generally first of just all animals in captivity versus the wild. The big problems are predation, um, mortality rates with infants, and disease. Like it's just the the wilds as big primates that have been far removed from the wild for a long time. We have kind of a Disney fantastical idea of what it's like to frolic in the fields. But but the wild is pretty hardcore. And my fellow bird nerds will know, especially for birds, especially when they're young. It's very, very hardcore um, to put it mildly. So the the wild poses unique welfare problems from a very physical place, from a health place. I think that the problems inherent to captivity come from more of a psychological place. I think we are very good at keeping our animals safe and clean. That was in the 1900s, really the focus was that these animals were making people money in circuses and in zoos and other places. And so it wasn't about their welfare. It was about how do we keep these animals alive as long as possible. And that gets you to keeping them clean, right? It's cleaning the enclosures daily and giving them nice hygienic conditions, um, making sure that they're getting veterinary care. So that was kind of our baseline. And I'll pivot back to this in a second, but it's it's one of the reasons I don't love using life expectancy as like the measure of success, because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. You're missing out, like, you can live to a hundred and have a pretty horrible life. <laughs> just like, just saying. so. It's one of those things that I think we have to look at a lot of different variables, but at that time period, we were looking at just their health. And I think from a health perspective, we do much better than the wild. So I think the question comes down to how do we catch up to the wild in other ways, and the important stipulation about that statement is it's not, how do we completely emulate the wild? So there's a lot of things that we can do that the wild does better. That we need to try to do better and primarily for parrots the one i think of is flying parrots especially smaller parrots even bigger parrots like macaws but i'd say especially for my little flocky Conyers they need like flying and being a flock is such a critical behavior to their identity that they're not having poor welfare if you completely omit that part out but we're not giving them the best welfare certainly so that is that's an example in my mind of something that we could do a lot better but it is achievable i've been to many free flight aviaries at zoos and other facilities that have this space where these conyers are able to fly together in social groups in big spaces and exercise their muscles in the same benefited way that they would be in the wild. But they're also seen by a vet regularly. They're completely uh, protected from predation. We intervene whenever they're having issues rearing young. They don't have to choose which baby lives, which baby dies. We can make sure everyone lives. So it's just more so that I think because the wild has been so good for animals psychologically because they've evolved to be in those environments, and that is what even their brain has evolved to be in, that we have for a long time seen it as the pinnacle of what animal care could be. And I think that's a mistake because it is certainly a goal in many, many ways, but I think that we can do better by taking the best of all the worlds and putting them together. So the primary non parrot example that I give is polar bears walk and swim non-stop miles and miles a day you know a polar bear swimming 50 miles a day we can certainly try to emulate that in a captive setting but is it necessary (laughs) like what where is the line that that is good exercise that that's part of their behavior that they want to do and where's the 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 crossing that line where okay this pair is just really trying to find food and doesn't want to swim this far but has to and so I don't I'm not saying I have the answers but it's definitely questions we need to ask if we're looking for best welfare and not just taking the wild as the best example at face value.
1: I think that's a really that's a great kind of like synopsis of that because it kind of just ties everything like I don't know I like give, I like that you gave different examples of something that's not just parrots because I think it's true for all of the animals In human care, I mean, it's something that, gay, both you and I have dedicated kind of our lives to, right? Um, and and having those those questions, and I think it's something that I find super interesting to talk about amongst keepers. Is like, is that ethical part? Like, is it is it are we doing what is best by having these specific animals and these types of animals? And I think that. Sometimes there's never a good answer um, because in reality, I would love to be out of a job, right? Like just flat out a lot of and, times. And I, I, would j- love I just want to say out of a job.
3: that's a rare thing in our field, and I think it's it's the right mentality to have, but it's a rare thing. I think a lot of people in this field are in it for the right reasons and they do yes. generally care about the animals but they also do it because they want to do it and that's not a yeah. bad thing it's it's not a bad thing to to want to do something you love to do and to do yeah. that it's certainly not a bad thing and i'm not i'm certainly not calling anyone selfish but there are a large number of people in this field that i think would have a tough time making that decision if they could actually put their finger on the button and do it yeah. it would be tough because people love what they do in this field
1: yeah and like i and I, I i don't want that statement to come across that like i don't because i absolutely do however in a dream world in a perfect world like we wouldn't there wouldn't be all of these issues that what like whether or not we like it a lot of times are man-made and uh, because of us and i think that also kind of we've we've talked about this in conversations that haven't been recorded but like it it ties into this like are they better off in the wild versus you know versus human care and things like that but like we also have to take into account that humans have kind of really effed up our environment to the point where some of these animals wouldn't exist because we exist and so in a perfect world I would love to be out of a job, but because it's not a perfect world, I'm happy that I can have myself and people like you and the people that, you know, I've gotten the pleasure of working with to be able to take care of the animals because we're so passionate about welfare.
3: Sure. And just one quick plug before we move on to the next question too, is I do want to (laughs) say that I I might've said it last time on the podcast and I'll say it again, because I think it's always important to mention when I talk about these topics and it's simply that, I I compare captivity very much to our school system and zoos to our school system in that if we have a few bad schools, it doesn't mean that we shut down education in this country. That is not a suggestion. Critiquing something is not suggesting that it needs to be canceled or completely eliminated. I think that we have a lot of work to do in both the companion and the zoo field but to be anti-captivity because there's work to do I think is a little short-sighted. And so I think that when I when I bring up these questions I hope no one takes away that these are awful things that should be eliminated. It's simply questions that we need to answer and and things that we need to think about.
1: You can't grow if you can't if you can you can't grow as a community, as a field as people if you're not willing to to face the the issues because you can't if you're not willing to see that there's a problem you can't fix those problems and so i yeah
0: speaking of being able to fix problems uh gabe can you talk about any fundraisers that you guys have been doing <laughs> for Citizen Welfare Institute.
3: Sure, so there's, a, gosh, we, we fundraise for a few different things right now. Right now, the primary thing that we're fundraising for is um, is for the the parrots in Ukraine. There's a great organization. Um, I'm gonna feel really sorry if I butcher it because this is not the real name, it's the English version of it. It's just the Polish Association for the Welfare of Exotic Birds, I believe is what it is. In Polish though, which I, I don't speak, so I'm not going to attempt to say it. Um, they've been doing awesome groundwork basically delivering food to parrots that are in ukraine because right now all the supply lines into the country are shut down and we think about humans but we don't often think about the animals that are left without any food because the pet stores are all closed and everyone's left so there are not many people that are willing to drive into that country on on the behalf of birds and risk their lives in order to deliver food and that is That is an organization that does that and it's amazing and world parrot trust has been fundraising like crazy for them they have been fundraising but it's been hard because the website's in polish it's not very polished it's kind of hard for people to donate directly to them but we do encourage people to donate directly to them if they can um and then alternatively we are working on a care package for them as well on World Parrot Day every year, we do a enrichment drive where we build a ton of enrichment. We buy the raw materials. We bring it to this year. We're going to World Bird Sanctuary again, and we're going to essentially take, you know, cheap materials and turn them into really expensive enrichment. And with the help of some of our guests, and so hopefully between the enrichment, between the fundraising, and the other things that we're doing and putting together for them, we can send that organization, a big care package, and they can bring that into Ukraine because for better or worse, they're the people on the ground. And we, even though we're so far away, continue to ask the question, what is best for parrot welfare? And right now there are parrots that are not in a good place in Ukraine and anything we can do to help them is what we're willing to do. So I encourage you guys, listeners to, to check out their page and to do a quick Google Again, the Polish Polish Association, I believe, Association for the Welfare of Exotic Birds. And, and you should be able to see that come up. And they're a really great organization. So we're fundraising for them currently. We always fundraise for our future enrichment drives, too. Last year, we donated to uh, St. Louis Avian Rescue for local rescue birds. So we're always fundraising, looking for birds that are in a tough place in life and need a little bit of extra help. And... There seems to be no shortage of them unfortunately so definitely trying to fundraise for a good cause and besides that we are continuing to work on our other projects behind the scenes we'd like to start fundraising for those too we're currently working on two different research projects that we're hoping to get underway that we're going to be budgeting for and then in addition to that we do our um habitat contest where you know annually people submit their habitats And we try to just celebrate the awesome ones because like we talked about before, a big part of welfare is the standards that exist. And a lot of people that go to bird, you know, pet stores to get a bird, they're trying to do their best for the bird, but the standards that they're being exposed to are so low that, that, that they're just set up to fail. And I don't believe in setting people up to fail. So let's set them up to succeed and show them what the best enclosures can be instead of what, the bare minimum is or what the average enclosure is and be inspired to do that themselves or to be like, oh, maybe this wasn't the right choice for me. So we're working on general stuff like that. And then always in the background, not for fundraising, but holy cow, so much paperwork, you know, emailing vets and and looking over our, our care guides. Those are kind of our, the foundation of our organization. We're always trying to make better and, and yeah, I think that's a, Gosh, a very quick summary. I'm looking over my whiteboard because we I have filled out an entire whiteboard of all the things I have to do, but that's a quick summary of some of the stuff we're fundraising for.
0: You touched on one very quickly there, and I just want to circle back to it. Um, for World Parrot Day, when is World Parrot Day?
3: World Parrot Day is the last day of May.
0: May 31st?
3: Yes, that's Fantastic. the one.
0: That is in just a few weeks. Count my, count my
3: fingers, yeah. That is in just a few uh, weeks. It's coming up real soon, and and anyone that does any kind of event planning knows that because it's in a few weeks, we've been planning it for a few months, so it's like <laughs> lose track of what it actually is because it's just like World Parrot three months in a row. That's you know? <laughs> that's how it that's how it happens. And
0: you mentioned the enrichment drive. I just want to mention real quick too, Bernano, if you were going to talk yeah, about yeah, I was. You t- you speak on it. You speak on it.
1: We uh, both, CJ and I, went to your World Parrot Day Fund our enrichment drive last year. And it was an amazing, just an amazing time. It was really awesome to come out and see you guys and be able to be par- participants and things like that. Um, and I, I'm excited for you guys to get to do it again. Cause I think it's a really great opportunity for people to come out and actually hands on help, you know, and it kind of makes people like really think about, okay, what would a parent want and how am I helping? And, just if, and then if they, I remember last year they had, there's people there with their parents talking about it. And then because they were there with their parents learning about better welfare, about better enrichment, and things like that. So I am so excited for you guys. And I hope there's another really good turnout because there was last year.
3: I think there will be because we're doing it on Memorial Day. So oh, yeah. that, that should be, we should <laughs> oh, get pretty good sure. turnout. I, I will do a quick plug that I doubt anyone is planning on attending with their parrot that's listening. But if you are happen to be that one person that is planning on attending with your parrot, please don't. Uh, avian flu is no joke with wild birds right now and it is an outdoor yeah. area. So please keep yeah. your birds inside. We, we
0: right? also mentioned avian flu on this podcast.
3: With, Excellent. Uh, we with did With our a lot. current event today. Yeah. So
0: we, we talked, it, was a birdie, it was a birdie podcast
3: on the Birdie budget yeah. <laughs> It's all coming together. Yeah. It's <laughs> all coming together.
1: So as we're talking about how everything is about parrots, and birds being here on the Brady Bunch podcast today, what's your favorite parrot?
3: Favorite parrot? Mm. Seems to change. I think it's. I, think, day I day.
0: think it's too easy of an answer to say green cheek conure. I think it's too easy of an answer.
3: Yeah, because the last time. So I, I have to say, African greys have definitely stolen my heart. I've I've <laughs> I've, 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 I've loved African greys for a long time, and I've worked with several, and now I have one in my own home that we that we rescued too, and they're just. I, I resonate a lot with them because they're very intelligent, but they're also like very timid. they they're they're, they're uh, introverted. <laughs> they're not like cockatoos that are like in your face, like Mohawk flaring and stuff. they're They're quite reserved and unsure of people when they first meet. And I can relate to that in in many ways. So I would say that you know, grays are an easy answer for me from a behaviorist standpoint, from a training perspective. From a conservation perspective, I mean, there's so much cool stuff going on right now. I love the work that is being done with the Spix macaw um, in Germany and in Europe. And it's it's truly an amazing conservation story and the blue-throated macaw too. So there's there's definitely a lot of great conservation stories that I'm following closely with parrots. And it's just, it's really hard to pick. I will say, I know I might get some flack with this, but, you know, there's there's the... The true parrots which are typically new world and then there's the uh the cockatoos and the australian order and then there's also the the new zealand type kakapos and stuff and i know that the new zealand types they got some fans out there but i'm, I'm kind of kind of a true parrot person I, I i i have love for all parrots but as far as what i have studied the most and worked with the most it's definitely been more of the citizen and and cockatoo variety so sorry for all my uh Kukupo fans out there and kia fans but alpine parrots are cool too and i i've studied them too but i i just it's a niche it's definitely a niche
0: <laughs> Brittany, what's your favorite bird obviously <laughs> sorry gabe i always like to make fun of Brittany because Brittany is like the least birdie person on the birdie bunch podcast
3: excellent
1: i listen <laughs> I've become more of a bird person since being on the podcast and since working with a couple of different parrots. They're just it's like, I, I like mammals. I'm sorry, but I do um uh, wrong answer <laughs> we're
0: different we're built different answer. we're built different. Not-
3: fine
0: <laughs> i would have accepted reptiles i would have accepted reptiles unfortunately mammals was not Jeez. the correct okay, like,
3: what a total mammal be- person to be asked what your favorite bird is and to bring mammals into it somehow. yeah classic <laughs> classic classic um, mammal answer
1: i'm really trying to think i don't know <laughs> Um, I, okay, really, I really, I really like owls. If I, if I have to pick a bird, it's probably going to be an owl. That's fair. It, Yeah. I, I, specifically, I really like barn owls. I think they're beautiful. I love all of the really cool history and, and mythology that goes along with barn owls. But that's, that's where I'm going to stick to say barn owl. <laughs>
3: It's like the California roll of birds.
0: Yeah, I mean, a little bit, a little bit, but I will allow it. Yeah, I love sushi or the California roll.
1: <laughs> that used to be me, so why are we surprised? Yeah, but we
0: grow, we evolve. It's okay.
1: <laughs> well, this is where I'm at now. Maybe ask me next year when we have Yeah, there we back. go, there we
0: go. We'll Come back for World Parrot Day next next year, Gabe, and ask pretty about birds again. <laughs> Absolutely.
3: And for the record, I do love owls, but I've worked with enough to... To respectfully be frustrated by them as well. so Oh,
1: you know what? I actually i want to change my mind because now I've came up with a better answer. Okay, what's your answer? I love a Kestrel.
0: Kestrels are great.
1: I love a Kestrel. Kestrels I used to work with They're a Kestrel cute. and They're... it was a little bit of a jerk phase, but I Check. loved him and he was stubborn when it came to training, but it's fine. I know Gabe has had experiences also with a Kestrel
0: gabe any any non-favorite i'm sorry any favorite non-parrots
3: non-parrot birds yeah <sighs> yeah i mean i i'm i'm a fan of vertebrae of too i think that probably the vulture vultures would would be my next most interested yeah. bird group um or although i do love corvids too i worked corvids with the I, I worked with a blue jay that was one of the smartest animals i've ever worked with and blue uh, just corvids are really cool they're, yeah they're really really cool animals so from a training perspective again i'd say corvid from a, a natural history wildlife perspective i would say vultures both new and old worlds any
0: any favorite vultures
3: any favorite corvids probably blue jay just for corvids because they're the ones i've worked with but ravens and crows are both super cool i've just have Classic. i don't have as much personal experience with them and i love blue jays because of their audacity because i'll, I'll I can hear one if it's within a 10 mile radius of my house because they're just like, I'm here. Every animal can hear me. I don't care. Like, I am here and I'm me and I'm unapologetic about it. So I love that. And then probably I'll give a. I do love Andean condors, but I feel like just from being in the Midwest, Turkey Vultures is such a great native conservation messaging. And I've I've worked with them. It is kind of a California answer when it comes to vultures, but
1: we love California answers. We love a California here on the Pretty Much <laughs> yeah,
3: Podcast, apparently. Yeah. So I would say between Turkey Vulture and like Andy and Condor, again, kind of yeah. behavior of working with them and their their story.
0: For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Gabe. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. We, this conversation replaces I wasn't expecting, but I'm glad that it did.
3: Absolutely, and I'm I'm always here to for your next Lord of the Rings extended three hour podcast series. You know that I'm I'm a the Patreon guy all.
0: exclusive. Patreon exclusive. <laughs>
3: exactly. If you'd like to hear me talk for another few hours? <laughs> yeah. Gosh,
0: um, I would love to have That conversation actually. Let's let's actually, talk about that at a different time. Um. <laughs> but where can people find more information about Citizen Welfare Institute?
3: Sure. You can find it on our websites. We're on Facebook as well. Our website is going to be citizen.org, P-S-I-T-T-A-C-I-N-E dot O-R-G. Um, You can absolutely incorrectly spell it on Google and Google will probably spell it correctly for you. Um, Like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, we are, Very scientific group so part of the purpose of it too is to kind of separate ourselves from like parrot.com which of course was already taken but also to to show that so i do apologize for how difficult that is to spell for anyone who's looking for it but it was definitely a a decision we made with science in mind so citizen.org is our website um and like i was saying before we're on facebook too Uh, We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. We are hopefully going to be on YouTube soon, adding some stuff. But like I said, we have a lot of projects, so no deadline on that. And yeah, other than that, I think that's pretty much it. We're mostly on, on our website. And from there, you can kind of see all the projects we're doing. And we have contact information if you need to reach out to any of us further or if you would like to be involved somehow. Absolutely. We're always looking for more help.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, I just want to say thank you again for joining us on the podcast and chatting with us. It's always a wonderful conversation. So um, thank you for having
3: me. And anytime. Gabe, this anytime. is our last episode of season two. Also. Whoa, I'm yeah. so honored. What a yeah. great way to go out. Yeah, yeah on finale, a wonderful baby. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> We're
0: awesome. so happy that you could wrap up season two with this, Gabe.
3: I'm, I'm so happy too. Thank you for having me. Of course.
0: All right, let's jump back to the rest of the episode.
1: Again, I just want to thank Gabe Kaysen for joining us today and talking all things parrots and conservation. It was wonderful talking to y'all, but I think with that, we're going to head on out. So where can we find everybody on the social medias?
0: You can find me on Instagram at cj.greco. That's cj.greco. And I recently hit 900 followers, which is wild to me. Because that's a lot of people. And I'm sure a lot of them aren't real accounts. But I don't care. (laughs)
2: can find me and matt Valiga. that's m-a-t-t-v-s and victor a-l-i-g-a on the weekends i'll be spinning jockey yeah i'll be spinning records on knbr but if you want to follow me on instagram you can find me there i hated that so much i hated it so much i hate myself so much i love you matthew i don't i love you
1: you can find me on Instagram at the Brittany Bunch, T H E B as in boy, R I T T A N Y underscore B U N C H. But if you want to find us all collectively, you can find us on Instagram at the Birdie Bunch Podcast. Um, you can also find our website at uh, www.thebirdiebunchpodcast.com. And on that, on that website, you can find our merch store if you want to support us. Um, that's a really great way of doing so. We've got really incredible merch coming out. And again, don't forget, we've got that discount code going on right now um, for 15% off. Use the discount code season two. That's S-E-A-S-O-N Two, like the number two. But if you can't, if you don't want to do that, if you can't do that, that's totally cool. Um, there's other ways of supporting us. You can uh, support us on Patreon. Thank you, Gabe Anderly, for supporting us constantly. We loved having you on a couple of weeks ago. And we just thank you again for all of your support. Um, and just a reminder, you can get you can you can do different tiers of support, you can get shout-outs like Gabe does. You can uh, get potentially Extra episodes or all of the crazy, fun, unedited footage that comes with us recording. And it is a wild time, let me tell you. Um, but you can also just simply, you know, tell a friend about us. Or even better, you can leave us a review on your listening platform. So um, if you leave us a five-star review, we'll read it out here on the podcast. We currently don't have any new re- uh, reviews to be able to share but if you give us five star review we're going to read it out here on the podcast but also just giving us any type of feedback is always welcome we want to make the best content for you guys and the only way we're going to be able to do that is to give feedback so that would be fantastic but i think that's it i think that's it for us for this week this is our last episode of season two we did it woohoo and we are taking a small break so we will be back on june 6th with the awesome pride birdie bunch so um we're really excited about that we've got a lot of fun crazy cool content coming your way uh for season three so we will see you back in season three and uh we'll catch you next time
0: Catch you in the next season. Wow.
1: Wow.
0: Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. wow.
2: <laughs> thank you for joining us for another episode of the Birdie Blunch podcast.
0: We would like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our logos and Connor Whitman for being our music producer.
1: The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.